Good evening. It is good to see each one of you. What a wonderful day it is and what a wonderful evening that it is. Appreciate so much the Delray Congregation and your warm hospitality. What a delicious meal this afternoon at lunch. Thank you. And then I know that there has been even more uh, food provided for tonight. And thank you for all that, that you're doing. You're going the extra mile. Your, your kindness to us, the ones from Fried Hardeman, you've been uh, very, very kind. The lodging that you provided, your, your warm uh, uh, visits and conversations are just really, really appreciated. Thank you. Thank you. The young people that are here, many of you have traveled a distance. It is so good uh, to have you here tonight. We have been looking forward to this. We're thankful for this opportunity. The singing was absolutely beautiful. It reminds me of when I was just about you guys' age and uh, I was a freshman sitting in this time of year, uh, sitting in chapel at Fried Hardeman for the very first time. And that first song, to hear the singing, I remember thinking to myself, you mean we get to do this every day? And I loved it. And I still love chapel. I love the opportunity to sing together. I know a lot of you young people are about to begin school, or you already have begun uh, school, and we wish you well. What a wonderful opportunity it is for you uh, to, to grow uh, spiritually and academically and the opportunity for you to help others by the role model that you are and who you are in that. And really a lot of this in Acts the 8th chapter uh, is, is God speaking to all of us by an example here uh, that we all can learn from. As we think about school getting back, let me just take just a minute or two and just tell you what our goal is for students that uh, a few of our athletes are already coming onto campus this past week and then many more a week from yesterday uh, will be coming back uh, to campus in the fall. And, and there's three things that, that we want for our students. Uh, we want them to immediately connect. Uh, we know that in the environment of, of uh, Freed Hardeman, it gives the opportunity to form friendships and relationships for life. One of the first things that freshmen do is they are, are immediately, the first day they're there, they're in an interface group. I was in an interface group 32 years ago. It's a group of like 10 people. I still am very close to four or five of the members of my interface group. You, you connect immediately to roommates. I'm still, one of my best friends was my roommate. And, and then there's a lot of connection through social clubs and through, through intramurals and, and so many other activities. In other words, one of the great things about the college experience is the relationships that you will enjoy at the moment and yet you will also share in them for the rest of your life. It's something special about that atmosphere. But the second thing is that we want you to be loved. You know, it is the Lord that teaches us to love. As a matter of fact, the first and second greatest commandment from our Lord is to love Him with all of our being, and second, love our neighbor as ourselves. The campus at Freed Hardeman is governed by those commandments. In other words, we truly are a place where young people are loved. The, the faculty love their students. Dorm moms love their students. The, 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 the students love each other. It's a blessing to be in a place where love is very real and it is experienced. The third thing is that we want them to realize the potential that they have. Uh, what can you become? And we want to push them to that. And so in that, uh, we're going to do everything that we can do through the classroom and through engaged learning initiatives and through internships and through other things to help every student find what is it that God has created you to do and to become, and, and let's become that. Now, if you've missed it, it can be summed up in these simple three statements. We want you to belong to become, and to be loved. And interesting enough, that's usually what every mother wants. 
for their child too. And that's the kind of relationship that we want with students. Tonight, we study a scripture that is one of the very, very beautiful passages of scripture because we see so much at stake. Tonight, we study a passage that's about the moment, a moment, a moment that changed a life and a soul and eternity. Many decades ago, there was a fellow named Bill Riddinghouse that was riding across Kansas, and he noticed in front of him was an old station wagon with luggage strapped on the top, and he noticed that one of the straps was working its way loose, and a suitcase plummeted onto the road, bounced off into the shoulder. The car was a little bit ahead of him and a few cars between, and he tried his best to pass and to catch up with the car to let them know that they'd lost their bag. He was unable to catch up with them, so he turned around, went back to retrieve the bag, and thinking, I'll look through the bag, I'll find who this belongs to, and I'll return it to them. The problem is there was no identification on or in the bag. The only thing that he could find was some clothing, and then, and, and then he found one box that was a little bit odd. It was wrapped with many rubber bands. He took the rubber bands off, opening the box, and it looked to be just full of cotton. But when he pulled it out, he began to unravel the cotton. In the middle of it was a $20 gold piece. It was commemorating the retirement of a man named Otis Sampson. And it had the name of the company which he retired from. And so Bill thought to himself, how difficult could it be to find this man and return this to him? Now this was before the days of the World Wide Web. And so what he thought was going to be easy wasn't easy at all. He spent the next several months making 75 phone calls to find this place of business. And finally, on the 75th call, he asked them, did you ever have a worker that worked for you named Otis Sampson? They said, absolutely. He was a great worker. He's retired. He explained, and they gave the contact information, and he called him. And when he identified who he was and what he found, the man just immediately leaped with excitement and said, oh, oh, please tell me, please tell me you have my gold coin. And he said, I do, and I'll be glad to return all of this to you. He said, I don't want the rest of it. But he said, please, will you just return my gold coin? It's the most valuable possession that I have. Well, that got Bill to thinking. A gold coin being the most valuable possession that you have. And so he decided when he was returning the coin that he would take the time to write a letter. And so he sat down and he wrote a letter about his life. And he talked about being in the war and being a prisoner of war in Romania. And he talked about there that he wasn't really a religious person. But in, as a prisoner of war, he began to think about what if there is a God? And so one day he prayed a prayer, something like, God, if you are there, and if you'll help me get back home to America, I promise you, I will seek to know you. And he returned back to America. And he kept his promise to God. And much like the Ethiopian that we're studying about tonight, he began to search for God. And later on, he was baptized into Christ. And he wrote this story down 
to send back to Otis. And he closed it out and said, my faith and my relationship with Jesus Christ is the most important possession that I have. And I just wanted to share him with you. He mailed it off. As he expected, he didn't hear anything back until one year later, he was surprised. He received a package back in the mail. As a matter of fact, it was the very same package that he had mailed back. He opened it up and it was the very same coin. And Otis had written him back and said, I thought you would want to know this. After receiving your letter, you made us think. I'm 74 and my wife is 72. And after we read about Jesus, we began to search for Jesus too. We wanted you to know that last week, we were baptized into Christ at a small church just down the road. And now we're returning you this coin and hope that you will hold on to it and remember us. And now we want you to know the most valuable possession we have is our faith in Jesus Christ. There are those moments in life, those moments where everything can be changed. Do you realize if we were counting moments as minutes that there are 525,600 minutes in a year? For those of you that are 16 years old, you've already lived over 8.5 million moments long. Isn't it interesting how many moments pass by and they're not a big deal? You, you, you don't do anything that's life-changing. There's nothing that happens that's spectacular. The moments pass and you can't mark them in time. You don't know them. But then there are the other moments. There are the moments that do mark time. They're the moments that mean so much to you that you'll never forget them. Maybe it was at the close of a ball game where your team won the tournament, won the championship, and you probably will never forget that moment. Maybe it was the end of a theater production and it was the last night and everything in the play went exactly. You nailed your part and the curtain fell and you'll never forget that moment. Maybe it was the moment that the guy or the girl that you really liked finally gave you attention and that moment of first beginning to talk to them was one that you won't forget. And you know, as special as those moments are that make up our life, there still are other moments even more important. There are moments about our relationship with God. The moments that we seek God and we find God. The moment that God, through Jesus Christ, saves us. Those moments are real. And those are the moments that if you're here tonight and you have not experienced that moment, we are going to use the Holy Scripture from God to plead with you to not go through life without experiencing the greatest moments that we could ever experience. I hope you have a Bible. And if you do, open it to Acts, the 8th chapter. In Acts, the 8th chapter, we're only going to study the last story but could I mention to you quickly the four stories that are in Acts the 8th chapter? The first three verses about a story of Saul being a persecutor, a place of persecution. The next several verses are about Philip being a preacher of the gospel, 
a place of the gospel being shared. The next few verses are about Simon the sorcerer being deceived. Satan is always lying to us. The place of deception. But then there's that story we'll study tonight. We'll see an Ethiopian who did not even know Jesus. And a man sat down with him named Philip and helped him understand someone he never knew before. And before they parted ways, they had the moment that he was saved. One wise scholar said that is somewhat the epitome of the book of Acts, using the word epitome to say it's the shorter version of the greater whole. All throughout Acts, you see persecution and hardship. All throughout Acts, you see the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. All throughout Acts, you see the deception of Satan always messing things up. But all throughout Acts, you see one right after another of conversion stories where people get it. Oh, they don't just get it. They get Him as as their Savior. And you know, that may be the epitome of my life and your life. As Billy said tonight and just before the communion and, or before the collection, life's not easy. We have a lot of hardships that can be brought in our life and it may not be exactly persecution or it may. But if we went around this room tonight and said, have you ever had a hard time in life? Some would say right now. And others would say, definitely I have. Life can be hard. And the hope is found in the gospel. But yet Satan is always coming around in my life and in your life, and he's lying to us. It's kind of like the proverbial angel on the shoulder that's constantly whispering in our ear, and, and he's whispering lies to us. He's telling you you're not good enough to be a Christian. He's telling you you don't deserve to be a Christian. He's telling you you'll never be strong enough to be a Christian. He's laughing at you, and he's mocking you, and he's making you think that God doesn't really love you. And all that's a lie. All of that is deception. And so that brings us to the last story. The conversion. Where the gospel's preached and a person believes it. And not only is their life changed, their soul is saved. And so in a few minutes, we're going to sing a song of encouragement. And where are you in Acts the 8th chapter? And if you're not a living example of that last story, we want to beg you. We want to encourage you tonight to look in God's holy word and let's see what are the messages that God is teaching us today from this beautiful, true, historic story that is so very powerful. As we look in Acts the 8th chapter, I'd like for you to notice that and, and what I'd like to do, and, and young people, I'll just shoot straight with you, okay? You're going to stay on your toes or you're going to get a little bit bored for just the next few minutes, okay? But it's really, really important that we let God speak to us and that we understand the story here. And then I know that typically application is a little more interesting sometimes than text. But I want to challenge you to really stay with this text 
and let's see what God is teaching us. And then we'll back up and we'll see four important reasons why we all ought to want Jesus Christ preached and shared with everyone. So when we look at the 26th verse, you're looking with me in Acts 8 and 26, we see that an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, Arise and go toward the south along a road which goes down from Jerusalem toward Gaza. This is desert. In other words, there's a deserted area. You go down that area and there's not a lot of exit ramps. There's there's not a lot of Chick-fil-A's. There's not a lot of rest uh, exits. And, And so you can imagine Philip thinking, Well, God... You, you send me places and, and I'm willing to go. Why do you want me to go to a deserted area? God, why don't you send me back to Jerusalem to a populated area? Why don't you send me to another big city? You're telling me, God, that you want me to go. I don't even know why you want me to go there. Well, there's somebody else in this story. Let's read on 27. So he arose and he went. Isn't that wonderful? But to, always to obey God. How beautiful that is. And behold, that's the idea of look. A man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all of her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning. Let's pause there for a moment. Who's the next one in this story? The next one is a man that had the greatest financial power in all of the country of Ethiopia. Candace was the queen. She would have had great and the greatest wealth in her country. And this verse we just read said he had great authority. Why did he have great authority? Before that verse ends, he says he had charge of all of her treasury. Listen, this was the biggest banker in Ethiopia. This was the CFO of royalty. This man had tremendous intellect or he would not be in the position that he's in. This man had great means or he couldn't take long trips with a chariot like he was doing. Who is this man? Well, it's not just important here about who he was, which is interesting, but did you note what he was doing? Let's continue reading. Notice what he was doing. I'm going to pick up in 28. At the, I mean, at the end of 27. And notice what he was doing was he had come, to, this is the very end of 27. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. So we know who he was, and now we get a glimpse of what he was doing. This man was on a journey. Let me tell you something. When you go from Ethiopia in that day and time all the way up to Jerusalem just to worship, he's hungry to learn. And now when we see him returning and he's continually reading the Scripture and he's finding things he doesn't understand, I would offer to you probably at this point, this man is intense in his desire. I want to know more about God. Now, I don't know for certain if that's what drove him to travel all the way to Jerusalem. But it appears to be that. And what's interesting is even when he went to worship, it still didn't answer all of his questions. And so as he's driving back, you can can imagine, I don't know if it was this way, but you can imagine when he went up to Jerusalem to worship, they may have literally studied out of the book of Isaiah. 
And so you can imagine him getting back on the chariot and starting home and thinking, there were so many passages today in Isaiah. I, I just, I don't get it. Last week when I was there in Jerusalem, we studied so much in Isaiah. And there's, there's so much I don't understand. And so now let's go back into the story where now Philip is going to find out why he's been sent on this mission. So we look here in 29. Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, now, young people, I want you in your mind at least to underline this phrase. Do you understand what you're reading? And notice the wisdom in this answer. He said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture where he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shear is silent. So he opened on his mouth. In humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. That's Isaiah 53, 7 through 8. So the eunuch answered Philip and he said, I ask you, of whom does this prophet say this? Of himself or some other man? Now pause there for a moment. Did you grasp all that? Here's this highly intelligent man that's already gone up to Jerusalem worship. And he's coming back and he's still reading his Isaiah. And he's reading about a passage that talks about a sheep being led to slaughter. I grew up where we processed all of the meat we ate all year long. So whether it was beef, we killed the beef. If it's pork, we killed the swine. If it's chickens... We killed the chickens. And we did that from the time I was knee-high to a grasshopper. I can tell you at five years old, I remember helping drive a steer into the barn early one morning. And we were going to slaughter that steer. And I remember at five years old, driving into the barn thinking to myself, buddy, if you knew what was coming... You wouldn't be so conveniently going along with this at this moment. I remember how easy it was to get him into the barn. Now look, you know if a five-year-old can understand that, the man with the greatest financial power in all of Ethiopia, can you imagine him reading the book of Isaiah and thinking to himself, and I mean, we know he's thinking this because he said it. Who is he talking about? Who would come to this earth and be willing to be like an animal going to slaughter and not fight back? You're not taking me there. You're not going to take my life. And then the very next phrase. Now he takes it not just from a grown mature sheep. Now he says, it's as a lamb going before the shear. That little lamb just gives all of its wool away and just stands there as if it's no problem. Who's going to go and, and let themselves, if you will, be stolen away? Oh, oh, I know who it's going to be. Somebody weak and powerless. 
Somebody that has no power to defend themselves. But did you notice what Isaiah said? Look back again in verse 33. Who is this going to happen to? In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. Even the text that was read earlier in Philippians, the second chapter. Do you remember that it wasn't Jesus being powerless that took him to the cross? It was him being humble that took him to the cross. Now imagine the Ethiopian trying to figure this out. You mean to tell me that there's going to be someone that comes to this earth and their life is going to be taken to them, from them simply because they are humble enough to give their life? Is that Isaiah? This is what he's asking. Is that Isaiah? Or is he talking about someone else? And you have to love, verse 35, look with me if you will. Then Philip, this is the answer that he gave to that question. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. And they went down the road. They came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. What a moment. At that moment, his sins were forgiven. And now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away. The Spirit had more for Philip to do. So that the eunuch saw him no more. But notice this. And he went on his way rejoicing. What a story. What can we learn from this story? I want you to hear these four bullet points. And then the lesson's yours, young people. And everybody gathered. The first lesson that we can learn is that there are always people searching for the Lord. And God knows it. See, in this story, God knew that there was an Ethiopian traveling from Jerusalem back down to Ethiopia. God knew exactly where he was on the journey. And so God sent Philip to go catch up with that man. Now, I do not believe that today God works in the miraculous way of coming and telling someone a verbal message. Hey, there's going to be someone in your life today and I want you to share the gospel with them. But I do believe this. God has stopped, He has not stopped opening the doors of opportunities for those that are searching for Him to be in life with those that can teach them Jesus. Let me give you a couple of illustrations and applications. Somebody in your school is looking for God. You can just almost mark that down. Matter of fact, there's probably several. 
Now I want to ask you, how do you think God is going to make sure that they have the opportunity that they can learn about Jesus Christ? I don't mean this in a, in a lighthearted, irreverent way, but for just a moment, if you were God, how would you do that? You have these young people in your high school looking for God, and you have these Christians that go to the very same high school that have the ability to teach others about the Lord and to invite them to come to a place where they can learn more. Now, how do you think God might work that out? I doubt that in all of your classes, in all of your club and athletic activities, I doubt everybody you're around this year is a coincidence. My guess is God has put certain people in your life and He's giving you the opportunity to let them learn of Jesus. I texted one of our past missionaries has just come back from Brazil this week just to make sure I had a little more of the facts of this story. Back about eight years ago, he sent me an email and he said, listen, things are going good. We've just arrived in Brazil. But he said, I have a couple of things I really want to ask you to be praying about. He said, it may not sound like a big deal, but he said, we're having a hard time finding a house. He said, will you pray for us to find a home quickly? And so I sent him back an email. I said, Nick, I'd be honored to pray for you guys, but I want you to know what my prayer is going to be. I'm going to be praying that God will give you a home beside someone who will be looking for Him. God gave them a home. And within a short amount of time, their next door neighbor, their son, and the missionary's son began to play together. Then they decided they would start front porch Bible studies. And so the mother would come over to the front porch Bible studies. But she didn't know if she was going to believe in Jesus. And so they continued to study for over a year. And finally, she started going to church with them. Now, of course, it was a brand new church, so it was only five or ten in size. And he said, you know, she would just sit there in Bible class and she sat in worship, but she would ride with us. And he said on the way home, she would ask question after question after question. And about two to two and a half years into their mission work, she told them one day, I want to be saved. I want to be baptized into Christ. And she had that moment in her life that God washed away all of her sins. She came up out of that water and her faith was on fire for God. One of her cousins is a famous singer in Brazil. And she immediately began studying the Bible with them. 
She has a brother who lives a distance off and she began immediately to study the Bible with the brother every phone conversation and still does to this day. Already two others in her family have become a part of the Lord's church and they were baptized into Christ. How, how did that happen? All around us, there are people looking for God. The question is, are there Christians looking for them? I assure you that all the adults here, it's not a coincidence who's in your workplace. It's not a coincidence who your neighbors are. It's not a coincidence the, the sports team your kid plays on with another parent's children. There's no telling how many people were looking for God that you and I never noticed in our life in the past. What I'm asking you to do today and what this scripture shows us the example of today is that there are people regularly looking for the Lord. God just needs someone who will go and find them. The other points will be much quicker. Point number two. There really are people that just don't understand. He comes up on the chariot. <laughs> You're reading Holy Scripture. This is great. No, it's not so good. I don't have a clue what I'm reading. Can I show you? How beautiful is that? Can we sit down and study together? But that brings us to point number three. God always needs individuals that's willing to sit down and study the Word of God with others. Hebrews 5 teaches us, when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need someone teach you again. Listen, it's all right when we're young spiritually to say, I just don't know if I can teach. But you know, there ought to come a time where we could say, you know, I may not can teach on every topic in the Bible, but if you want to know how to become a Christian, I've done that. I can teach you about the hope of your salvation. I can teach you about the Lord Jesus. I can teach you about how to become a Christian because it's so beautiful, it's so wonderful. I can't help but not talk about it. But then, that final point is that there are always people that are ready to have that big moment in their life. When he preached Jesus, the result of preaching Jesus was the Ethiopian saying, I believe in him. I want to be baptized. And you remember the moment that followed that moment? Then there was great rejoicing. His life had been changed. Things were amazing. Recently, I had the opportunity to see one of our Freed Hardeman students go back to his home church. It was unusual because he went back on a Wednesday night during school. But the reason he wanted to go back was because his father called him that afternoon and his father said, Son, after all these years, I'm now ready to become a Christian. I appreciate your influence and your encouragement that you've always given me. And I want you to baptize me into Christ tonight. You know what's really awesome about that story? Was that five years before, while then he was a freshman in high school, 
his friend, Spencer, told him one day at school, hey, I'd like for you to go to church with me tonight. And you know what the craziest thing in the world was? He said, I'd love to go. That's all he needed was an invitation. And he went, and he loved it. He came back Sunday morning. He went back Sunday morning at lunch and told his mom and dad, listen, I found the real church. These people study straight out of the Scriptures. They love the Lord, and they love people. And I want you to start going with me. I don't know about that. Well, he asked his two brothers, and his two brothers started going. It was only a short matter of time the first Christian was baptized into Christ. And then it wasn't that much longer that another brother was baptized in Christ. It wasn't much longer another brother was baptized in Christ. And then a few years goes by, and now his father is baptized into Christ. And it'll be a little more time than his mother will be. What's the point? One freshman in high school gave his buddy an invitation to come and learn more of Jesus. There are good reasons to share Jesus. But the best reason of all is that it will lead to moments that will literally change people's eternity. Let that sink in. There's two destinations to eternity. I want you to let that sink in. To change someone's eternity. So tonight we go all the way back around where we were at the beginning. I don't know where you are right now in your walk with the Lord and in your faith. But if you've never had that moment where you were baptized into Christ for the mission of your sins, how wonderful it is that the grace of God will save you. Will you come tonight as a believer in the Lord, repenting of sins, confessing that Jesus is Son of God, and be baptized for the remission of your sins? Maybe you've begun that journey and how awesome it is to have a moment where the Lord will bring us back if we have left Him. If you need to repent of sins and confess sins, let's pray forgiveness tonight. Let's all leave here tonight. Let's all leave here tonight having had the greatest moment in our life when we gave our life to Jesus Christ. If we can help in any way, come as we stand as we sing.